let's uh let's light some candles it's advent right so we're doing the advent um and our advent greeting that chris has introduced i say christ has come and you say he is coming again so christ has come Hey, that was good. That was so good. We only have to do it once. Excellent job. And so we have the candles and the, the first candle. Let me remember what the first candle is. Promise candle. It's in your notes. So, you know, it's, it should be easy. <laughs> so the notes did get down here, didn't they? Yeah. Well, I hope it's the right one. Does it have my name on it? Okay. <laughs> well, let's hope so. Or you can just, let's, you know, you have blanks on it, then you're probably good to go. So, all right. So, you're good. You're good. Uh, next, next can. so the promise candle. We wait with, we wait, you know, when we learned, you know, from Simeon waiting for the promise, right? And then we have preparation candle. That's right. And Simeon watched. In preparation, he watched in preparation. And today, the candle that we're going to be learning about, proclamation, proclamation candle, and Simeon witnesses. And we're, today's about witnessing. Now, Christmas is coming, we're not having Sunday school next week, so we'll go ahead and we'll talk about what's the next candle? Participation. participation. And that'll be, Chris will teach worship and worship with participation with the church. And then the Christ candle, the purpose candle, we welcome our sovereign Savior as He fulfills His purpose. So there's our candles. The worship candle is a little dim. It's not participating particularly well, but it's lit. It's starting to get going there. So, all right. So, turn to Luke 25. Simeon's greeting, it teaches us to see God's salvation in all of Christmas. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation. The goal of the series is simple. Prepare us to greet the Lord at His second coming, like Simeon greeted Him at His first coming. Simeon was prepared to greet the incarnate King when he arrived at the temple. His greeting was simple yet profound. My eyes have seen your salvation. And when we see what Simeon saw, we will do what Simeon did. And that was, he waited, he watched, he witnessed, and he worshipped. Let's look at Luke chapter 2, start reading in verse 25. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in child Jesus and in, brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, 
a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at these things which were being said about him. Think about Simeon. Who was this guy? And Chris has talked about this. All we know about Simeon is what's in this passage, which is not a whole lot. You know, I think of Simeon, you think about this and I'm like, you know, even in first century Jerusalem, this guy had to be weird. You know, I mean, this guy probably old. We don't know for sure, but we kind of get the idea that he was old. And when he says now, Lord, you've releasing your service, you know, he might have been like, finally, I can die and I'm ready to die. But he might not have been old, but you kind of get a picture that he was old. And I just think crazy old Simeon, you know, and you can imagine and, and think of Jerusalem at this time. It had one of the great ancient wonders of the world in the temple built by Herod. OK, and so it, it was literally a it was a, a place that people went on vacations to go see Herod's temple. It was that big of a deal. And so they literally had tour guides that would go on in first century Jerusalem to take people that had come from other places and come to Jerusalem and not Jewish, but they wanted to see the temple. And they would have little tour guides going into places, you know, in the court of the Gentiles, and they could go around, they could see the big building. And you can imagine the tour guides coming around and seeing this old dude over there in the temple because he's showing up every day looking for Jesus, looking for the promised Messiah. And they go, that's crazy old Simeon. He's here every day. Why? He thinks he's going to see the promised Messiah from the Old Testament prophets before he dies. You know, they're going, oh man, he's a kook. Yeah. So he's probably, this is kind of the picture you get, that I get. I can be off. The Bible doesn't tell us. But so then Mary and Joseph, and they've gone through a few things. Okay, you know. You, you know, you're poor, you go to Bethlehem, you give birth, that's rough. But you got, then you don't get to do it in a hospital, you don't get to do it at home. No, you do it in a manger. It's a little rough. Then the wise men come. This is weird. They've already been visited by the angels, each individual. Then the wise men come and worship him and like, okay, this is interesting. We got shepherds. You got shepherds, I'm sorry, shepherds first. Then the wise men, and in between that, you've got the trip to Egypt because the angel told Joseph, don't go back to Bethlehem. You've got to go to Egypt first because Herod's going to kill all the babies two years and younger. This is a weird time. Mary and Joseph are going through all kinds of strange stuff. They get to the temple, and they're, and they're carrying the baby. They're worn out. Maybe, you know, it's been 40 days or whatever it is. And this old dude starts walking towards them. You can, man, they're walking and they're going along. And like, hey, crazy old Simeon's walking towards, you know, what's going on? And then it's, and then Simeon, he doesn't just come up to them and greet them. He takes the baby. (laughs) Okay. He takes the baby, you know, and maybe you're Mary at this point. You're like, you know, I had shepherds come and hang out with me after giving birth. This is no big deal. But I don't know. Maybe if you're Joseph, like, dude, <laughs> what, what do you, this, this is our kid. What are you doing? And then, he, and then he sees the baby. He takes the baby and he breaks out into a song. He breaks out into a song. And the song, now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace 
according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed. No longer offended at an old crazy guy taking the baby. They're amazed. We'll talk about that in a minute. They're amazed. Why? Because what is revealed in Simeon's song is profound about what we can learn and understand about the salvation provided by our God. Simeon teaches us what we can witness to and proclaim of God's salvation. The first thing that we learn is salvation is present. His first word in the New American Standard, his first word is now. In some of the other versions, it's Lord now, you know, but it's now it's here. It's finally happened. Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace. The waiting and the watching is over. Within the Christmas story, Luke presents us with four Old Testament saints. In all four cases, these people are pictured as very devout and godly saints. In the case of Elizabeth and Zechariah, Luke stressed that they walked in all the commandments of the law and were righteous before God. In the case of Simeon and Anna, and Anna's story takes place immediately after Simeon's, Luke stressed that they were devout temple goers and cherished the hope of the Old Testament prophets. Simeon is looking for the consolation of Israel, and Anna is looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. In other words, these were model Old Testament saints who kept the law of Moses and looked with eagerness toward the hope of the prophets. Now, the hope had come. The hope had come and was present with them. But, the new kingdom with Israel's oppression ended and the Messiah on the throne was not yet. We do not witness of a salvation to come, but of a salvation that has come and is available now. But even though we understand and we know, and those of us here that are saved and are followers of Christ, we know our salvation is now, we have it. But there is still a longing, a waiting, a watching, isn't there? Because while salvation is now, the ultimate culmination of God's new creation is not yet. Like Simeon, we look for the suffering in the now to give way to our permanent home with God's people in God's presence. Salvation is now, but there is still a longing for the not yet. There's a reason we pray, come Lord Jesus, come. We long for it, but we can say it is now because it is so assured. We know it's here. Salvation is present. The second thing we see is that salvation is a person. This is abundantly clear, and I think it's kind of one of those things we can pass over. We've heard it so many times, the idea and all that, and yet understanding it and living it can be a little bit different. But salvation is a person. Look at verse 28 again. Then he took him into his arms and blessed God. Which that just still cracks me up. 
He didn't ask for him. He took him. And in verse 30, he says, For my eyes have seen your salvation. He didn't hold baby Jesus in his arms and then look over at the sacrifices taking place and go, now my eyes have seen the salvation. It's in these sacrifices. No. He took him in his arms and looked down. And while looking at baby Jesus, he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. Look at how Paul describes our salvation in Romans 6. You want to turn there, you can. I'll read it for you. But Romans 6 gives a great picture of of how salvation is about a person in our lives. Romans 6, and I'll start reading in verse 3. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we might too might walk in newness of life. For for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Here it talks about the whole essence of salvation and being dead and raised up, the resurrection, the power of the resurrection, and all of it is centered on us being what? In Christ Jesus, united with Christ Jesus. That our salvation is about is the fact that it is about a person. And it is about us being united with a person in Jesus Christ. We need to understand what salvation is not. That it is not a practice. We can't worship our way to heaven. There are no liturgies. There are no good works. There's no religious efforts that bring salvation. Not confirmation, not communion, not baptism. Not a practice. Nothing that we can do gets us to heaven. Salvation is not a process. Yes, we often, we will work through stages as steps as the Spirit walks and works in our heart. And that is a process God uses to lead us to the Son. But there are no magic steps or, or catechisms that guarantee heaven for us. The process isn't salvation. But the person that that process hopefully leads us to is our salvation. Salvation is not a prayer. Saying a prayer doesn't save us. There's no magic incantation that you utter the words and they happen. Now, don't get me wrong. It is a good and right thing that we bow before God and beg His forgiveness and claim His promises and thank Him for His salvation. And so when we are saved, that is, we, I would guess that most, if not all of us, when we talk about Becoming a Christian, we go to a point of, yes, I remember bowing with this person, them leading me in a prayer and me saying, and what we're doing, we're outwardly expressing what God has done in our heart. And that's important and good. But it isn't the prayer that saves. It's the one in whose name we pray that saves. We can manipulate people into a prayer. 
You can't manipulate people into heaven. It is the one in whom we pray, in whose name we pray, that saves. Salvation is not a purchase. There's nothing, we, we can't buy or earn salvation in any way. It's a person, given freely, given by grace. Salvation is the person, Jesus Christ, Jesus Messiah, Son of God. Salvation is being united with and becoming one with a person. Note that Simeon was not at the foot of the cross when he declared he had seen God's salvation. I find this interesting. Now, don't get me wrong. The cross was necessary. It had to happen. But he was at the temple holding a baby. But it was a baby in whom the perfect life, the sacrificial death, the miraculous resurrection, and the ultimate ascension were already completely assured, guaranteed, promised. He knew. He didn't know there was a set. He didn't know the cross was coming. Simeon didn't know these things. He was an Old Testament saint. He was looking for a king to mount his throne right then and there, knock off the Romans, evict them from Jerusalem, and have the millennial kingdom happen. But when he looked at Jesus and proclaimed salvation, he wasn't lying and he wasn't deceived. It was salvation assured to occur. Salvation's present. Salvation is a person. And salvation is personal. Very personal. First, look at, again, it's 28. Then he took him. But he took him into his arms and blessed God. Verse 30 again, my eyes have seen up close and personal. You can picture Simeon holding this baby. Maybe baby Jesus is grabbing his finger like so often happens when you're holding a baby and baby Jesus is cooing or crying and doing whatever it is babies do. And Simeon is holding him and looking at him and cherishing him. Deeply personal. Can you imagine the joy Simeon must be experiencing to have such a deeply personal encounter with the Messiah, whom he knows with absolute certainty, this is the anointed one of God. It's one thing to get to see him, but to take the baby into your arms, to look into those eyes, to hear the coos and cries. The creator God of the universe not only provides salvation from eternal damnation, but he came to earth as one of us to be near us and with us so that our salvation would be up close and personal, not cold and distant from afar. Let me read Psalm 139 for you. Psalm 139 says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. You are intimately acquainted with all of my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Salvation comes from a God that knows us. He knows us. He knows everything there is to know. All our secrets, all those things we would never want to share with anyone, God knows, and He comes close anyway. 
verse 4, Psalm 139, verse 4 says, Behold, O Lord, you know it all. And then in verse 5, And laid your hand upon me. You know me, and you know everything about me, and yet you still want to come close. Salvation comes from a God that knows our sinfulness but cares for us and loves us anyways. To bring it into the New Testament, Romans 5 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. That's all very personal. It's very personal about our own spiritual growth and all these things happening in our life that God happens. But listen to this. Why does it happen? Verse 6 of Romans 5 says, For while we were still helpless at the right time christ died for the ungodly for one will hardly die for a righteous man though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die but god demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners christ died for us he knows us very personally and still provides that salvation salvation's present Salvation is a person. Salvation is personal. And salvation brings peace. Simeon says in verse 29, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace. Simeon's peace is the peace that comes from years of longing and waiting, watching and hoping. And then that hope being fulfilled. The restful satisfaction, knowing that the promises and prophecies were fulfilled. The calm and peace that comes when the chaos is over. The oppression is ending and complete vindication has arrived. Peace. I, I think, and this is a silly analogy, and it's just a taste of the kind of peace that he may have had. But I do think... About a couple of years ago, when all of Kansas City, after 50 years of waiting and watching and hoping, saw the Chiefs win a Super Bowl. You go, Ty, that's just silly. But think about how you felt if you were a Chiefs fan. After the game was over and you screamed and hugged and, and you, you were excited and you finally got home that night and you could hardly sleep and you laid down. Oh. There's peace. A worldly, temporary, simple, but a peace. Why? Because the waiting was over. The vindication had come. The oppression of the evil <laughs> 49ers, not so much. But, but right, do, do you, do you, know, you know what I'm talking about? And you lay back like, oh, we did it. Finally, the hope was fulfilled. It's a taste. It's barely even a taste in comparison to what Simeon must have felt at this point. Because he's like, I can die now, God. I can die happy. You can take me home. I've seen your consolation. I've seen your salvation. I've seen it. It is here. Peace 
is here. Isaiah 32, 15 to 17 says, Until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fertile field, and the fertile field is considered as a forest, then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness will abide in the fertile field, and the work of righteousness will be peace, and the service of righteousness, quietness and confidence forever. I love how Isaiah defines the peace of God, quietness and confidence. In a world full of conflict and chaos, insecurity and worry, God's salvation provides peace and rest, quietness, confidence forever. As a child of God that has received salvation, this is what our life should experience is what we should be witnessing about. A life of peace and rest and quietness and confidence will stand out in this world like a shining beacon to those around us. So then proclaim the source of this peace, God's salvation, Jesus Messiah. In John 14, 27, Jesus says this to his disciples, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Salvation brings peace. Number five, this one we rejoice in greatly. Salvation is for all peoples. Simeon in verse 30 says, For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah who has come to bring glory to Israel. But the mercy shown to Israel overswells the banks of Israel and brings revelation to all the nations. Verse 31 gives the first hint of where Simeon is going with this song. But it is vague enough that perhaps the Jews around him, and you've got to imagine at this point when old Simeon approaches the young couple and snatches the baby out of their hands and starts singing, that there's a few people watching and listening. What in the world's going on with old Simeon? And he starts talking about in the presence of all peoples, and these people go, wait a second, the Messiah is coming for Jerusalem, right? He's coming for Jews. But then in the next line, Simeon makes it blunt and clear. There's no getting around it. The Messiah is also for the Gentiles. Never excluding Israel, but also for the Gentiles. You turn to Isaiah 49. As a devout man, remember Simeon, crazy old Simeon, he was devout. Simeon no doubt spent time reading, studying, and being taught the Old Testament scriptures. And he understood that the Messiah he was looking for was the suffering servant spoken of by Isaiah. Is there any doubt that Simeon had these passages in mind as he sang his song? In Isaiah 49, verse 5 and 6, he says, verse 5, And now says the Lord who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel may be, might be gathered to him, For I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God is my strength. He says, 
It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Sound familiar, doesn't it? You've got to think when Simeon's singing this song, he's plagiarizing Isaiah a little bit here, right? He's going back and he's thinking of the studying he'd done of the suffering servant, the prophecies of the coming Messiah. And he knew, yes, he's coming as the glory for Israel. But that is insufficient. Verse 6, this is so cool. It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserves of ones of Israel. It's not enough. That's too small for our God. That's too small for our Jesus Christ Messiah. No, I will also make you a light of the nation so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. If you want to turn over to Isaiah 52, just a couple of chapters over. Verse 10 says, The Lord has bared His holy arm in the sight of all the nations that all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of our God. As the light of the world, the Messiah brings revelation to the nations and glory to Israel. That means that we, that he will reveal the true God and the true way of salvation to the Gentiles, who, as Paul says in Ephesians 4.18, the Gentiles are, are darkened in their understanding understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. But in Isaiah 42, 6 and 7, God puts it like this. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other. Therefore, the mission of Jesus to the nations is to open their eyes to who is truly God and to bring glory to Him, which the world had given to all other created things. The culmination, then, of this will be seen in the new creation. In Revelation 7, 9, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. Salvation is present. Salvation is a personal and very personal. Salvation is a person and very personal. Salvation brings peace and salvation is for all peoples. Salvation is about promise keeping. Verse 29 again. Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. Verse 32. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. According to your word, that last part of verse 29 in the CSB version is translated, as you have promised. It's exactly what has happened. Simeon is saying, Lord, it's here. It's here now. It's happened exactly as you promised, according to your word. 
Your promises are kept. This crazy promise that Simeon would see the Messiah before he died had been fulfilled. Was Simeon surprised? I don't think so. You don't, you don't wait like this. You don't come to the temple looking like this when, you, when you're not confident in the promises of God. His waiting and watching was not based on the word of a man. It was on the word of a promise-keeping God. For Simeon's entire life, he had studied the promises and the fulfillment of these promises in the Old Testament scriptures. He knew salvation was coming because it was promised by a promise-keeping God. Genesis 17.7, God says, I will always keep my promise I have made to you and your descendants because I am your God and their God. God's promises not only for the Jews, but we are included in them. In Galatians 3.29 says, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offering, heirs according to promise. Salvation is dependent on God's promises being kept. And we can depend on it. We can count on it. We can be assured of it. We have been disappointed so many times by broken promises that it can be very difficult to trust God to keep His. And and some of us more than others. But the reality is we have all been disappointed by broken promises. And for some of us, this happens so often and so much by people we love and trust and people close to us that when we read Scripture, it's simply difficult. And it's a struggle to believe and trust that God the Father will keep His promises. But it's true. We've got revelation of what He has done over the past 10,000 years in Scripture showing once and again over and over His fulfillment of promises. We have testimony of the saints, of the saints in this church, of saints we have known who have passed on. We have testimony after testimony of God's promises being fulfilled in our own lives. Salvation is dependent on God's promises, but God has never broken a promise. He cannot, for to break a promise is outside the very nature of God. We can know our salvation is certain because it is not dependent on our ability to keep a promise. It's about promise keeping. Salvation's about promise keeping. But it's not about us keeping the promise. Because if it's dependent on our promise keeping, our salvation is not assured. The Messiah coming was not dependent on Simeon showing up at the temple every day looking for Jesus. I'm glad he did. It's a really cool song that he sings that we get to hear about. But it wasn't dependent on Simeon keeping a promise. It's dependent on God keeping a promise. We can know our salvation is certain because it's not dependent on our ability to keep a promise or anyone else's, but on God's ability to keep a promise. Finally, salvation requires sovereign power and personal response. Salvation is present. Salvation's a person. It's personal. It brings peace. Salvation's for all peoples. Amen. Salvation is about promise-keeping, and it's about a promise-keeping God. 
A salvation requires sovereign power and personal response. He sings his song. And then in verse 33, And his father, and, and the father of the baby that he's holding in his hands, were amazed at the things which were being said about him. Mary and Joseph had both been visited by angels. Why would anything else amaze them at this point? Mary was a virgin that just gave birth. Is anything going to surprise her? Yet, they were still amazed at what Simeon said. The revelation of what God's salvation possesses, it's just the, a sovereign power that blows their mind. They're like, wow. Listen to what he said about him. How does he? Because they knew. Mary knew this was the Messiah. Joseph knew this was the Messiah, but nobody, who else would know? They're not going around telling people, because then they'll be crazy Mary and Joseph, right? No. But Simeon comes up because it's been revealed to him by God and God's power. And the reality of these things and these descriptions of salvation, of the salvation that's been brought, it's a revelation of God's power. Romans 1.16, we're familiar with it. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And we know the gospel is Jesus. When the gospel is proclaimed, when the Messiah is revealed and salvation is presented to us, in the power of of God works, we will respond. The reality is, when Jesus is presented, all of who He is and what He has done, His perfect life, His sacrificial death, miraculous resurrection, and then ultimately ascending to the right hand of God the Father, when this is presented, some will respond with disdain. Some respond with mockery. Some simply reject. Others ridicule. Most just are indifferent. Now is the time to respond with an open heart to receive God's salvation. No one can respond for you. It is your response alone. When the truth of Jesus Christ is proclaimed, what is your response? Will you respond to Simeon, watching and waiting for his second advent that, that launches the not yet of his eternal kingdom? Will you respond to Simeon and bear witness of the promise-keeping God and the peace that you have because of this God? Will you worship and bow down before the King that has come and is coming again? Do you ever wonder, maybe not, you know, when you're teaching a lesson on this and you read that song un, uh, countless times in, in preparing, you start wondering about Simeon. That's why you come up with weird little stories about crazy old Simeon. Like, what was this guy like? And then you start thinking, what happened after this? He doesn't need to come to the temple every day. Maybe he did. 
Maybe he loved being there. But he doesn't look, have to look for the Messiah anymore. He didn't follow them back to Nazareth. It's interesting. It's the Messiah. Maybe he wants... Did he just go off and die? I, I don't know. But you know what I think he did? I think he probably kept doing what he was doing. Waiting and watching. Watching for the Messiah's kingdom to be restored. But also witnessing. Proclaiming that Messiah had come and he had seen him. Held him. And worshipped him. And guess what? The crazy factor probably got andied up a bit with people. Oh, great. Now he thinks it's actually happened. You know. This too should be what we do. Not just go off and die. We wait for the promise. Watch in preparation as Chris taught us. Witness by proclaiming the good news. And even out of Simeon's song that we can read about at Christmas time, there is some great stuff to proclaim and witness about. About the good news of God's salvation. We worship. And Chris will be teaching on this in the coming weeks. We worship with participation. And then we welcome the sovereign Savior, as He fulfills His purpose on earth. This is our response. Let's pray. Father, we thank You. We thank You that in Your divine will, You, you saw fit to have a man like Simeon witness and worship the baby Messiah. That in Your sovereignty, You decided to Reveal this to us in your word. To have Luke, in, in, as he's inspired to write, to share this story. That just gives us so much to think about and consider and ponder about the salvation that you've given us. We thank you for that, God. We thank you for Christmas. A time that we can set aside to have Yes, we, we spend time with family, we give gifts, but God, it's a time that we focus on you in our hearts and in our families that we can turn to a, a time that is we recognize that you are central to our lives and you are central to all that we do throughout the year. God, we thank you for a church that proclaims your word, that is a, that is a beacon of peace and hope in a lost world. We thank you for these things that you've given us. And we ask that you would work in our lives, that we would do as Simeon has done, because we have seen your salvation. It has been revealed in your word. And as we have seen your salvation, let us respond as Simeon did. And let us be a witness. And even now as we go upstairs, God, let us worship. And let us worship you for all you have done. For who you are. In Jesus' name.